following is a message from Praise and Worship, a community of people in Branson, Missouri who are loved by Jesus and joining Him in His mission to bring love and hope to all people. For more information and for more audio and video content, visit www.branson.church. So I want you to think about your church life, like, because I know there's a lot of people from out of town. This is Branson. This is one of the most fun things of being here. As well as that people from out of town. So we're all we all have different stories. Think about your church life. You're like when you think of the word church, like what does what, what church mean, right? And 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 you know I've shared a lot of my stories. someday I'm going to have you guys come up and share yours. And everybody's like, is he really? Maybe. Be careful. And so and so what I would love to do is I would love to and I and, I, and I'm just going to pretend, but I bet if we had some of you come up here, some of you say, you know, my I love. I've always loved church. It was this great place where I came, and it was like the center of our community, and we came here, and we learned about Jesus, and we had like things like, you know, like Sunday school or vacation Bible school or Awana or all these cool things that we did, and the kids were laughing and playing and growing, and it was great. And others of you might come up here and go, ah, well, my, my experience wasn't quite like that, and you might share other things. And others of you would come up here and go, yeah, okay, you know, it's a little boring sometimes, or, you know, or, you know, or then some of you would come over, yeah, I go to this really weird church called Praise and Worship, and the preacher is just, he's goofy. And so then you'd have all these stories to tell. And wherever you land along that spectrum, what I'm inviting you to do now is to think about the impact that the church has had upon your life. Good, bad, and otherwise. Ugly, right? That's what we say. And I want you to allow for all of that to kind of swoop, swoop across your heart because... We could all debate and discuss what makes a good church and a bad church and all those things in between, and, and that's all fine. But here's, what I, here's what's so powerful. Um, we were talking at our Bible study this week and, uh, at, on Wednesday morning, and, and we were telling stories. And one of the stories that, that we were talking about was, you know, what about, what about some of these TV preachers, right? Is that church? You know, we, you know, you get, is that a bad thing or a good thing? And a lot of us are, oh boy, you know. And, and, but, but here's the thing. There are people that come to Christ through those guys and gals. There are people who learn that God loves them from the, those folks that we might look down our noses at. And it's funny because as almost as if the Holy Spirit might knew that was going to happen, the Apostle Paul talks about it in Philippians. And he talks about how, you know, I know there are some preachers out there, they're just in it for the money. And what does Paul say? You'd expect him to become righteously indignant and say, yes, we must stop them at all costs and do it. And that's not what he says. He goes, whatever. I don't care. As long as Jesus is being preached, let's go. And you're like, what? Isn't that interesting? As long as Jesus, as long as the gospel is going out, the gospel, the good news, Jesus for you. Jesus died for you. He did all of this because he loves you. This is good news. And what, 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 what the Bible literally says is, I don't really care what your motives are. Just keep telling them, right? And so then I want you to think back into your church experience. And some of you I know, and, I, and, and I would, if I were to tell you my church experience, it kind of had these like periods of history. Like I could tell you the, period, the dark times when I was like in this really, really difficult to understand place and I didn't understand God and I rebelled against God and I could tell you about the golden era where I like became aware and I was like living and growing in Jesus and all the things that were a part of that and part of my journey has been discovering what I thought made the good times good and the bad times bad maybe wasn't exactly what I was right about that but in your story I want you to think about ponder like you know when was what did I have a golden period in church am I in it now or is was it before or what and what does that mean? How does that work? 
I want you to ponder that question as we look at God's Word today specifically because my objective, you know, you're not supposed to do this in preaching class. They tell you don't ever do this, but I'm going to do it. My objective is that when you leave here, you would have a very, a very biblical definition of church, that you would have a very biblical definition of your role in the church, of how you can participate in God's kingdom and its advance upon the earth. And then thirdly, that you would have this idea of what, the golden era, what your golden era will become, right? Let's take a look at what we're talking about. Acts chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, which also happens to be a quote of Joel chapter 2. We get a twofer, right? It's where, it's where we're taking it. And what's really interesting, that, you know, the idea there is these are the fire talkers. And you're like, who are the fire talkers? And I'm like, I'm looking at them, right? It's people with fire in their bones, as Jeremiah would say. It's this idea that this is what God is doing. We're going to zoom in on this. Look what he says. He says, Peter's talking, and he says, no. Because everybody's like, are you guys drunk? And he's like, no. A lot of people think that's what's true of us. But no, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. So here we have the apostle Peter, by the power of the Holy Spirit, interpreting the Old Testament for us, helping us understand what Joel was saying. Joel said, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit only on the good people. That isn't what it says, is it? Mark, are you telling me that the that God, the Bible, that, that you're, are you trying to tell me that God pours out His Spirit on all people? And I'm like, no, the Bible is trying to tell you that. The question is, will we listen? Will we accept it? But what does that mean? Well, let's keep going. Verse, 20, verse 18, which is from Joel 28 and 29. He says, even on my servants, in other words, in, in, the, in the Old Testament, who, who had the Holy Spirit, very specific people. And we saw them in the Bible Project video. That you had... Joseph, in the book of Genesis, he had the Holy Spirit, but it's like not like everybody else did. He did. He had this ability to interpret dreams. There were a couple other people throughout the story. They were given special gifts to do what they needed to do. But now it's going to be, even on my servants, even on the, you know, the lowly, you know, the, what I would call the, the pew writers, right? You know, whatever you want to call it. You know, we don't even have pews. But these the people, the, the crowds, the gathering, everybody. Uh-oh, here now we're fighting words, both men and women. Oh boy. Can God pour out His Spirit on women? Yes. Believe that. And He says, I will pour out My Spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And you're like, Mark, I really wish I had the gift of prophecy because then maybe I could win the lottery or something and get out of my bad situation or whatever it might be. Prophecy, we've got to define the word prophecy from a biblical standpoint because a lot of people just think prophesy means foretell the future, right? And what may I just introduce you to, that's a very small amount of prophecy in the Bible, and there are a few important times when that happens. But the big amount of prophecy and the bulk amount, and I'm convinced the bulk amount of what is intended here, is the idea of foretelling the future. Which is to say, if I say to you, not the future, but just God's word in general, but it is also the future. If I say to you, Jesus loves you, this is prophecy in the biblical sense. Prophecy means, thus saith the Lord. That's what prophecy means. And I, you need to know that Jesus loves you. He has sent me here today to tell you that. And he has sent other people in other places and other times to tell you that. And sometimes he'll send mamas to tell their daughters that. And daddies to tell their sons that. And best friends when they're crying over a terrible grief-filled moment to say that to one another. It's going to be okay. God does not hate you. He loves you. And do you see how we can prophesy to one another on a regular basis with great 
power. And a lot of people think Jesus loves you doesn't have great power, and I'm going to tell you it changed the whole world. Because the moment that you are sitting there and you believe the words that Jesus loves you, that God has moved heaven and earth, he brought heaven down to earth for you, for you, not just for y'all, but for you. He's like, no, I don't know, but yes, that's prophecy. It is forthtelling God's word into your life, into reality of what's going on right here, right now, always. He loves you. And what this is, is this is fire <laughs> because it changes things. The reason that is always used in the scriptures is because fire is power. It changes things, and his word changes things. Take a look at the next passage, verse 21, and we're also going to allow the end of verse 36 there. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I don't think we believe that. I think we struggle with that, right? <laughs> what? If I call on the Lord? Yeah. How does that work? What do I have to do? Cry out his name, just like it says. Well, what's his name? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Well, here we go. He says, at the end of his sermon, Peter says something very controversial. Preachers do this sometimes. It gets them all kinds of trouble, and Peter was no exception to this. He says, let, is, let all Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord, and notice the small caps there, and Christ. So when, when we are reading that first sentence at the top of the screen, it says the name of the Lord. That's the name of Yahweh, the, old, the name of the God of the Old Testament, right? That's always spelled in lower, you know, small caps. And we are, you know, people are like, I don't know if I know the name of Yahweh. That's kind of a foreign, it's kind of, it sounds like a Jewish thing or a Hebrew thing. I don't know what that is. Everybody knows the name of Yahweh. Did you know this? Every time you say the word hallelujah, and I know a lot of times we say it like, like when we find our car keys or something, you know, it's like it's, we say, you know, or like that moment when you get the phone call and the money did get deposited in the bank, you're like, hallelujah, you know. It's very simple. It's Hebrew for praise be to Yahweh. Hallelujah. Praise be to Yahweh. That's the, it's the word hallelujah. And it's so funny because everybody says hallelujah whether they believe in God or not. And it's kind of ironic because we did all say that everyone would, you know, the Bible does say everyone would, would say, believe that name and bow their knee to that name and confess that name, and that's exactly what's going on. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, Peter says to them, Yahweh Mashiach, Yahweh the Messiah, Yahweh's Savior, the one who came to save us. That's what Jesus means. Jesus means Yahweh saves. All of this is wired up into the name. When you cry out the name of Jesus, you are saved. Please believe that. Please hear that. This is fire. When you cry out the name of Jesus, you are saved. And you might be like, Mark, you don't know what happened last night. I'm like, no, but he does. Cry out his name. Because it doesn't say everyone who had a good Saturday night and cries out the name of the Lord will be saved. No, it says everybody who cries the name of the Lord will be saved. Not maybe. Not kind of, sort of. Will. Take a look at Zechariah 4.6. Now, I've got to tell you this. Every once in a while, you know, Pastors can be dumb. I don't know if you ever knew that. My, I, I exceed in this. This is one of my best skill sets is being dumb. And so one of the things that happens to me as I'll go through this is, you know, you're thinking to yourself, well, this is how it works. You think you, you preach and you teach and do some things. You're like, hey, you know, not too bad. You know, actually, I'm a train wreck. And so what the reality is is we have to go back to God's Word because the only way it works is that very broken people are used to tell the story. Very broken people are used to tell the story. That's like the message of the Bible. Like, have you ever noticed that all of the characters in the Bible fail? 
All of them, except for Jesus, because, well, he's God. All of the people, all of the humans, they fail. Every one of them. Every one of them. And so it's so important to have Zechariah 4.6 written upon our hearts. Because, guys, each one of us, we're going to fail one another. We are, and I will lead us in that, I promise you. And so here's what's going on. Not by my might. Now, it's really interesting because that word might is the Hebrew word chayil. Remember, we learned to clear our throats when we say these words. So it's chayil, and so it's this, it's this idea of what humans do. That word is never used in terms of God's power. Only humans. So it's not by human power. It's not by our capabilities, right? Nor by power, and that Hebrew word is koach, right? So it's koach. And so that word is God's power. And here, specifically, his, his, like, when, like his wrath and his, well, for lack of a better word, koach is what we see when like, it said that David and his 300 dudes went out and took out 30,000. And it, was, it says it was by God's koach. And so it's his power to overcome the world. God's not going to do it that way. Because a lot of people think, well, if God's so powerful, why doesn't he just get rid of all the evil and just fix all of this right now? Because he said he's not going to do it that way. Because it would be easy. See, here's the thing. If we said, yes, I would love for God to get rid of all the evil and take care of everything, then the problem is, is I'm evil. Whoops. So do I want him to get rid of me? Do I want him to get rid of my loved ones? Do I want him to get rid of the people across the street? No. We want every, what what does the scripture say? God's will is that all people would be saved. That's what he wants to do. I want you just to imagine, those of you who have children, you have two children. Let's pretend in this story you have two children. And you have a child on your left and a child on your right. And the child on your right has tended to follow what you say, has tended to be a little more obedient, for lack of better words, and to actually trust you from time to time. And the child on your left, well, you might have strong-willed children. Anybody here have strong-willed children? You know what this is like. And they're just like, see you, Dad, see you, Mom, whatever, right? And they're off running around doing their own thing. And, but the law requires you to, to send one of them to a place of punishment. So how would you handle that? And God looked at his children, and he's like, I don't want any of them to suffer that. So he himself took the punishment. He himself became subject to the wrath of God. The wrath of God was poured out upon God, not people. And this is so important that we see this. It is not by chayil, our ability, or by choach. No, no, it's koach. I get my, my words messed up. It is, it is not by our ability or by his like rolling through town power, but by ruach, by spirit, by his spirit says Yahweh Savaoth, Yahweh the almighty, sovereign, majestic Lord of the universe. This is how it's going to get done. This is the plan. It's in the plan from Zechariah on. The place where we remember remember that Yahweh does not forget. It's this place where we see His power coming out. It's for you and for me. And we're carried forth by His Word. By His Spirit, which works through the Word. Take a look at John 16, verse 13. Jesus is now talking, and he's, it's like he's literally picking up the baton from others, including Zechariah, when he says, the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into how much truth. So, the question comes up. It comes up all the time. In fact, I was gathered with a bunch of pastors the other day, and we were like, you know, um, how do we handle these difficult situations? And you know, we all start to rely on our might. 
And then we think, well, maybe God will by His power. And it's like, no, it's by Spirit. And we struggle with this. And, and like I said, I'm first in line. I will lead us in our failures, right? I'm, I'm, this is what we all do. And so you, you take a deep breath. Remember in the Bible, the word for breath is also Spirit. Everybody do that with me. Breathe. Everybody's like, maybe he'll end the sermon now. That's what they're hoping. <laughs> We're getting close. The spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. Trust the words of Jesus. And look what he says. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. That sounds like prophecy. What is yet to come? New heavens, new earth. The end of suffering. There will be no more tears. There will be no more sickness. There will be more more death. There will be life everlasting living together. He will be our God and we will be his people and we won't fight against him anymore. We won't fight against one another anymore. And, and here is the part that you need to believe and I know it doesn't look like it. It doesn't feel like it. It doesn't even like, what are you even talking about? But what it is, is it starts now. It does, it's not something you just, well, go live on a mountain and wait for the day when either you die or he comes, whichever comes first. No, it starts now. I hope that you would believe that the whole idea of church is what we're doing right now. It's the idea when we start to believe that his power is present now, his spirit, the firepower, right? And that it actually starts to happen now where we start, to, all, the, all the, the feelings of wanting to kill each other, which happens, right? I don't know if you ever feel that way. Just ask my wife. And so, and so it, starts, it, just, it starts to subside, and it's replaced with love. As we learned about this last week, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. That's what comes in in place of those things. That's why here in a minute, we're not just going to talk it, we're going to eat it and we're going to drink it. That's what we do. This is by His Spirit. Look at John 16, verse 14. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. This is what he does. That's what Jesus says. The Holy Spirit will point you to me. He'll point you to what I've done and he'll take that and give that to you. Now, our final passage, everybody's been waiting for me to say that. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Guys, this is firepower. Not by... Not by might, like our own abilities, or by his, like, I can roll over everybody, I can send 12 legions of angels. Not that. Spirit. Apostles teaching, God's word, right? We spend time, we devote ourselves to God's teaching. Everybody's like, maybe we've devoted a little too much. No, we're doing it just right. And then to this idea of fellowship. This is a Greek word, koinonia. It's actually the Greek, it gets translated into Latin as communion, Right? Which is strange, because then, then he says the breaking of bread after that. Isn't that interesting? Yes, I think it's interesting. Because communion, I think we oftentimes, especially those who grew up in, remember we talked about how did you grow up in church? What was your church experience like? I think we grew up sometimes thinking that this is the only thing that's communion. This is communion. And I know you're like, oh, Mark, now you're just being sacrilegious or something. No, I'm just reading the Bible to you. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to communion and to the breaking of bread. Let the words hit you where you're at so that you can believe that church actually is not something you do when you gather to worship. 
Certainly it includes that. It's who you are, and it's your whole life. Like when you're with your friends. I, I, I've told this story before. I'll tell it again. We were sitting with some friends. We're sitting around the fire pit, and he says, he, and the guy asks me, what do you do for a living? I'm like, I, you know, I'm a motivational speaker? I don't know. I didn't know what to say. I'm a pastor. And he says, well, where's your church? And we're sitting down by the lake around a fire pit. I'm like, you're sitting in it. Because it's a category mistake. Church is not a place. And I say this as a congregation is getting ready to build a building. We've got to talk a lot about that. It's not a place. It's a people. And, we, and I know people get so tired of me talking about it, and you're just, I don't know what to say. I'm going to keep talking about it. Because the Bible does. So we devote ourselves to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and then we're going to spend the whole summer here at Praise and Worship. We're going to learn how to pray. I know we know how to pray. We're going to learn some more. Because, you know, God gives us this. You know, a lot of people say in our culture right now, we need not prayer, we need action. And may I just say to you, the most powerful action you can take is to pray. And so that's what we're going to do right now. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we ask you boldly to take these words that we've spent so much time with and root them in our hearts. Help us leave here believing that we are the church. Help us leave here as we go out always hearing those words, Jesus loves me. No matter what my behavior is, no matter what my past is, no matter what my circumstances are, Jesus loves me. And that he gives me power by his spirit. Not the kind of power that makes me able to lift, you know, leap tall buildings. Not the kind of power that makes me want to call 12 legions of angels or draw the sword. But by the spirit, the fire, the firepower, which produces love and joy and peace and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. We pray boldly that you would produce that fruit in us, and take that fire everywhere we go. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.